your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right is McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open is Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a touchdown. Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are another week, another Monday of Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good weekend. Past the midway point of May. How about that? I'm just keeps kind of getting away from us here. It also saw the end of the last dance, the 10 part series about the Chicago Bulls dynasty of the 90s and the an unbelievable career of Michael Jordan wrapped up last night on ESPN. Monster ratings throughout the 10 episodes that air. For some of us, it was a trip down memory lane. For others, it was kind of getting acquainted with. Michael Jordan and maybe a lot of folks, Ben, Josh, Austin included, would maybe only remember bits of it or none of it at all. So to kind of see it in color and live action was probably pretty cool. What do you think of how they wrapped it up last night? You know, obviously you you had a feeling how it was going to end because of the timeline aspect of it. You know, the first 45 minutes to even through the second episode, you kind of got to feel how they were going to do it. They were they were going to feature the 98 season throughout all 10 episodes while flashing back to the beginning. So you knew that this all was going to cultivate with that championship uh, over the Utah Jazz uh, to finish it out. Honestly, I really, really, really wish they would have done an 11th episode of just how they tried to throw the last five minutes together. Uh, I felt like the uh, the chatter of how it ended, you know, was really abrupt, uh, you know, and, and then it, it was almost, you know, then you had that MJ tribute kind of at the end of him just kind of recap. You had some of the, um, you know, they played back some of the biggest highlights from that career of Michael to from that 91 season to the 98 season. And, and that was kind of it. You know, they kind of ride off into the sunset, and then you had that script at the end uh, of what happened to each guy. I, I truly feel like they could have done another hour-long episode and made it an 11-part series of the thought process of all the uh, of the entities. And, and you, I felt like it was really rushed at the end, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. You know, you had one cut from Phil Jackson. You have one clip from Michael. You had one clip from Reimsdorf, and and that was kind of it. And and we didn't really hear from Jerry Krause again, who was who was featured so much in that first episode. Uh, and and you kind of thought that they would reintroduce where Krause wanted to take the team after the the last dance was over. And I would have loved to to have seen the perspectives of the players, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr after they left and, and that, that rebuild process of, of the new look bulls, I would have loved an 11th episode. I just, as much as I love the documentary and I did, I, I, I loved every part of it. I, I wish they would have not rushed the ending as much and given us more from the fallout that I was so much anticipating. Once we started to get to episode seven, episode eight, episode nine, to me, the intrigue wasn't, aren't the Bulls going to win their sixth title? It was, how does this thing actually come to an end, and what happens after this is done? I would have loved to get more of that story. And I think what happened, 
I don't think this thing was ready to air, to be honest with you. I think when the coronavirus came up and ESPN realized we're going to have a big hole, we're not going to have any sports for months, we got to have something. And they went to these guys who are producing this thing and go, can you have it ready? We really need more time. Can you have it ready? We really need more time. Can you have it ready? Okay, we will. I saw an interview today, Ben, with one of the producers. They edit. They put the finishing edits together Thursday. Thursday. And it aired on Sunday. I guarantee you, a filmmaker, a document, or a Ken Burns type, no way would he let it go on the air. He would have said, it's not ready. It's not done. We don't have the right bow to put on the end of this thing. And I'm with you. I don't, it, it just kind of... It just kind of stopped. And you're like, that's it? Really? They, they, they didn't kind of tie it all together at the end. And I think they were rushed. I don't think they were ready. And so many people in broadcasting make this mistake to try to be first, fast, get it done. And they botch it in the end. And I think that's kind of what happened at ESPN. And it's going to prevent it from really being in one of the all-time great sports documentaries. Very good, like you said. Enjoyed it, like you said. But it just didn't have the ending that it needed to have to make it award-winning when you, when you go back and look at the whole thing. And, and I feel like so many people are going to consider what they watched for the 10 hours and just be so enamored with MJ, where he came from, that they're not going to really consider how it ended. So I, I feel like a lot of people won't hear criticism on it just because of the contents of the first nine hours and 15 minutes. Uh, but... I mean, I truly feel like it was just kind of slapped together, and I'm not, and I'm with you. I mean, I, I think it, you know, had they had the right amount of time, they, you know, they they could have put the ending on and they won it. And and I was talking with a buddy about it today who who loves MJ and loves the Bulls and couldn't believe I had anything bad to say about it. And I said, dude, <laughs> think about how you felt at the end of episode seven when yeah. MJ was going on about his rant, wanting to win tearing up saying i need a break if you have that kind of oomph at the end of episode seven at the end of episode 10 should be 10 times that and so i didn't have near the feeling i did after episode 10 as i did have after episode seven which is where my problem is it, it got out to the great start episode one jerry Krause, he's this villain everybody hates him he blew this whole thing up the the bulls what would have happened with the with the run for seven and, and it kind of had this huge buildup, like, okay, the last dance, right? Okay, that's what the the documentary is called, the last dance. Let's okay, let's truly make it the last dance then, and find out what happened after. It's like watching a movie about aliens, like Independence Day, and the the aliens come and you know the U.S. bombs of the UFO or whatever, and then the sh the show ends. And you have no idea what happens with life after that happens. That's kind of how I felt at at the end of the last dance. Look, I, the episode ten was great, but I, I, it left me it left me needing to do research, which I didn't like. Yeah, no, I'm with you. What the last dance did was successfully bent the curve. We've heard about bending the curve of the coronavirus. We want to bend it and bring it down. That's what they did. The peak of the documentary was the end of episode seven. Not that eight and nine were bad, they weren't, but they weren't at the height of the end of seven. And seven was the peak, and it came down to the end. So there, there's that. Dirk Chaplin's going to be on with us here in a couple minutes in the Omaha World Herald. We'll get his thoughts about the last dance coming up um, 
in a few minutes as well. Some Husker football news, Ben, that popped since we last spoke on Thursday night, and some really good news. And let's start with the local front, and that was that Xavier Betts, the young man from Bellevue West, is academically eligible and will be a part of this of this football team when they get together at what point in June or July, whenever it is, when they get together. I'm so excited for that young man. He is a tremendous talent. Um, I knew he had a, had a big hill to climb to get himself college eligible, and I'm really happy for him. Uh, this is a good get for Scott Frost and that wide receiving room that needs a shot in the arm, and they get it when they get the news that Betts is going to be here. And, Greg, an in-state kid. I mean, of all the news of – of in-state guys and wide receivers and and Watts going to Notre Dame and um, Johnson going to Iowa and, you know, all this pub of athletes going other places, this one would have really hurt not to get him eligible. But but I feel like for him, you know, to get here and, and represent the state of Nebraska and, and represent this coaching staff that was able to get him to come to Nebraska, I feel like he can really come in and do some good things to that receiver room. Uh, and I feel like he's coming at a great time. It's a great time to be a young wide receiver in this program. And so I feel like with his stature, his size, his makeup, he's going to be able to come in and, and do some things that guys on the roster aren't able to do just because of how he's built. So that that's a positive. But the the other thing that, that you know, it, it feels good for us to be able to talk about this. Every time there's this type of situation where there's an athlete that – you know, maybe isn't academically gifted like like some others. It doesn't come as easy to them, or you know, their background makes it a little more difficult to get the right environment to study and to be a more diligent student. Or maybe they're just learning how important acad. I've I've talked to a bunch of athletes that that want to play college football and they don't realize until their junior or senior year in high school how important the grade part is, and then by that time it's too late. Um, you know, I feel like the amount of pressure that those guys have that are on that border. To have to do that is is beyond commendable. You know, to to sit in a test room, or to sit in a classroom and take a final, or show up to the ACT, or you know, approach a semester knowing, okay, I got to get, I got to get two A's, I got to get two B's. When you know they struggle to make a C, the amount of pressure that that it makes it makes the schooling more difficult than it already was on them, knowing what's at stake. And and so for Xavier Betts to be able to overcome that. And he's just the latest example. You know, there's a lot of guys that that have gone through this situation where, you know, they need to pass a big test or there's a couple of big hurdles, um, you know, to to be able to do that. Diedrich Mills, another one that came to mind. There was a lot of coursework that he needed to do to get here and and become eligible. I'm so happy for those guys because who knows what road they go down if if they don't make it. There's been another batch of players, Greg, that we've seen commit to the Huskers and we're waiting on those grades, waiting on those grades. They don't come that first semester. We never hear their name again. And you wonder what they're doing. Um, so this is awesome for him, awesome for Betts, awesome for his family to kind of have that burden lifted off. He can go to college. He can get a, his education furthered even more. He can f- fulfill his dreams of playing college football in his home state for the Huskers. And he gets a fresh slate, clean slate when he comes to Nebraska where they can provide all the academic support he could want and get him off to a good start when he gets to Lincoln as a freshman. Um, I just uh, – anytime there's an athlete struggling to make those grades and it comes down to one test, one class, one subject area, whatever, the amount of pressure that they feel might might be more pressure that they'll ever feel on, on a football field. And so for them to be able to do that and get that done, 
huge huge kudos to him and you know hopefully he takes advantage of this fresh slate at nebraska Uh, i'm really excited for him the other bit of news deals with special teams we all know what kind of issues nebraska had last year with the kicking game the injury to pickering earlier in the year pulling guys off the club soccer team moving a, a, a red a walk-on linebacker who'd kicked in high school over there to, and Lane McCallum to kick the winner against Northwestern. It looks like Scott Frost didn't have any of that anymore. They are lining up a bunch of kickers into the program. And Connor Culp, who's been a kicker in the LSU program for four years, is going to grad transfer to Lincoln and be a part of this program. He's got to go earn the job. He'll have some competition with some of the other moves that Nebraska's made in the last four months with the specialists of this team. But here's a guy that is kicked in the SEC, kicked in front of large, large crowds before, that's going to grad transfer to come to, to Nebraska. So Oscar's try to bolster that kicking game that last year was was quite costly in a handful of games for the Big Red. I've been going back and, and watching a lot of the games from last year, um, you know, just because I haven't got a haircut in a while and I have new hair that I can re-lose. Um, so I'm going back and watching old, old Husker games from last year. Um, this is awesome to get. You know, I think to go out and address a, address a need, Connor Culp coming to campus and hopefully just immediately fixing that Daniel Cerny, the punter from Australia, immediately uh, coming to Lincoln and hopefully having an impact in the punting game. You know, this is a guy that was behind two pretty dang good kickers in Baton Rouge. And, and uh, York, the Cade York, the, the newest kicker for, for LSU, uh, will, will be around too. Um, you know, he just he happened to, 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 lose his, um, to lose his spot because someone else just came in and was a little bit better. But, you know, he's – uh, will be immediately Nebraska's most experienced kicker. Um, he had 11 of 16 field goals his last time as a starter, and you hope that he can come in and uh, get get acclimated to Lincoln right away, and you know establish some stability that position because that was a that was a very unnerving situation game after game after game last year to have to watch somebody else trot out there and watch the ball barely creep over that that crossbar whether it be PATs or field goals or whatever, having the offense have to go for it for fourth and five, fourth and seven. You wonder how that Colorado game finishes if you're not trotting Isaac Armstrong out there for a 48-yarder right there in overtime. Um, It's not an easy kick either way, but you're at least feeling better about it than a backup walk-on punter. So just to have some stability of that position is huge. Um, You know, again – Matt Waldock will not be back, and you got to give him a lot of credit. That was a heck of a story and kind of fun to watch that guy run out there against Maryland and boot PAT after PAT. But I'm ready for a guy that comes in here and knows what he's doing and reestablishes some stability because as good as Barrett was the end of his freshman year, you haven't really felt great about a Nebraska kicker since the end of Drew Brown. Yeah, no doubt. So really Friday with the news of Culp and Betts becoming academically eligible, pretty good day for Husker football. We're delighted to welcome on board Dirk Chatlin. We've not visited with Dirk for a while. Dirk, good evening. Appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. How are you and the family doing during these uh, trying times? We are, you know, it's uh, it's obviously a little nerve-wracking for, for everybody, I think. Every time you get a, a cough or a mild fever, you the anxiety kind of goes through the roof, uh, but so far we've we've been very fortunate, and we're not having to venture out too much, which helps. Certainly interesting. We've gone darn near two months without a live sporting event till yesterday when NASCAR ran, and then you had the golf exhibition down in Florida. 
Uh, that may never happen again in our lifetime. Let's certainly hope not, because that would mean something traumatic has happened. How have you filled the gaps? Have you been reading? Have you? What, what have you been doing to keep yourself occupied? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, when you got kids, you're chasing kids around a lot more. And we've been doing stuff, you know, outside in the yard and uh, probably more than, than I ordinarily would. Uh, but, you know, it's there's the days, you know, you, you find ways to keep busy, whether it's uh, I'm not I'm not sitting around reading novels or something like that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty active and uh, trying to trying to get some projects done with work, uh, trying to give our readers, you know, something good to read, especially, especially, uh, on weekends. So it's, it's been busy, but it's, it is different. I, I, I think that, you know, it, this has happened at a time of the year where, uh, it's been a little bit easier. I mean, can you imagine going through this in, in November, December, January, uh, at the coldest time of the year or when you're, you know, when you're, in the midst of football season, uh, I think it would be even more difficult at that time. Totally agree. If we were all confined to our house because of frigid temperatures, it would be miserable. But at least it's nice you can go for walks, get out, take the bike for a ride or something like that. Well, ESPN took uh, advantage of this lull by, I think, quickly putting together the final couple episodes of The Last Dance, which ended last night. What did you make of the documentary about the Bulls run and, in particular, the influence of Michael Jordan during that era? Well, it's uh, it's funny because they couldn't have Michael Jordan and his you know legion of admirers could not have drawn this up any better. Not that they would you know envision a coronavirus to to take everything else off the map, but the impact that this thing had was had to exceed uh, anybody's expectations. It was you know the the hot topic uh, basically the last five weeks, and you know I think for a lot of us it confirmed a lot of things that we already knew. You know, it's Jordan's competitiveness. Uh, sometimes his uh, pettiness maybe is the word or, or looking for edges and motivational edges in any way that he can get it. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think it, it just underscored a lot of things that we already knew, but the video, the video documentation of all this stuff is, it's just extraordinary to me. I mean, that's probably been the most, the most fascinating part of this. Uh, I mean, think about, you know, a championship run documentary with all this footage from 22 years ago that is basically sitting in a storage unit or a vault somewhere. uh, And they didn't, you know, they didn't get Jordan's clearance to produce it. I just, I can't get over that. You know, how, how that must've weighed on the, the people behind this documentary the entire time knowing what they had and knowing that, you know, they, they couldn't get it out to the public yet. And as it turned out, I mean, I, I just thought the video stuff was, was the highlight of it. Obviously there's a lot of great anecdotes about Jordan and, and so many, I think, illustrations of his, you know, his famous competitive drive. Uh, but I thought the, I, I thought the, the real highlight of it was just the visual evidence of so much of what we already knew, because, you know, this is, this is like uh sports history, um, you know, coming at you 10 hours, uh, you know, in, in, in what I think, well, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a groundbreaking documentary. I don't think it's the OJ Simpson quality. I don't think it had some of the depth to it that I was hoping that it had. I didn't learn, you know, a bunch of new things about Michael Jordan, but what it did do is I think it just, 
it put you know visual images behind some of the so many of the things that we have such fond memories of. He said, Dirk, five weeks ago before this all started, he thought people might, after they watched it, may not like him as much as they did before. And I think some of that was because how tough he was on teammates, how, as you mentioned, he kind of found ways and sometimes created ways to get himself motivated to play. How do you think he came off? Do you think he, it changes anybody's opinion of him after watching these 10 episodes? No, I think it only enhances the image of Michael Jordan. Um you know, it's. I don't want to say that people have forgotten, but, but you know, in a sense, I mean, he's been out of the public limelight for 15 years plus. You know, arguably 20 years, and it's pretty unusual. I mean, Reggie Miller's on TV, Charles Barkley's on TV. You know, so many players, Shaq, Magic Johnson, so many players that came out of that time period are still all over the place uh, when you follow the NBA. And Jordan has has basically dropped off the map. And I think, um, you know, just getting him on the screen talking about so much of this stuff is, is was just – it was really cool. I mean, every time Jordan showed up on the screen in a, in a present-day interview, uh, you couldn't take your eyes off of it because you wanted, to, you, know, you wanted to know what he said. And it wasn't always super revealing in terms of his personality, but, uh, but I just thought he was, the, you know, he was the obvious star of it in part because – He's kind of been uh, he's been off the grid for 15 or 20 years. One of the other points, though, that I think is is important is, and this sort of reminds me of Tom Osborne in Nebraska. When you go off uh, with a, with a championship like that, when you go out with a championship, and I know that he came back with the Washington Wizards and you know played at 38, 40 years old, uh, but when you go off on a on a peak like that, John Elway would be another representation of this. Uh, I think it just it sort of enhances the nostalgia for for what you did and and the level that you did it at. You know, if the Bulls would have lost in 1998 to the Indiana Pacers in Game Seven, uh, I think you know the Jordan era would be would be remembered differently. Uh, the fact that he you know won basically every playoff series except for one in the 1990s, and he you know went out with with three consecutive championships. Uh, I think really bolsters uh the 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 love that people already had for him and any argument i think after this point that jordan is not the greatest player of all time is is going to be mocked uh because i i think the past five sundays have have really kind of etched it in stone Again, visiting with Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work online at omaha.com. At the end of episode 10, they put up a black screen and said, Jordan retired, Kerr gets traded. And then the last thing was the Chicago Bulls began their rebuild, which is still ongoing. Uh, part of that rebuild was Fred Hoiberg, who was for a while yeah. their head coach, now at Nebraska, and he's trying to certainly build something at Nebraska. What did you make of, of the first year for Coach Hoiberg in Lincoln, and how big a challenge is this going to be for him to try to get Nebraska to be relevant in this sport? Well, let me uh... – <laughs> I guess let me start with the fact that I don't think what happened in the first year changes the long-term uh, prognosis for for Fred Hoiberg. I mean, I think he's you know he's he's still I think stands a very good chance of of being successful and delivering Nebraska you know an NCAA tournament win or two uh, here in the next couple of years. But having said all that, uh, I think the first year went about as poorly as it possibly could. And, uh, you know, it was, 
they're basically starting over in year two with with a new roster in the same way that they were in year one, and that's not exactly how anybody envisioned it. So, I, I think the the hope is moving forward, you know, that they've uh, learned a few lessons, and I think part of that is probably you know recruiting. It's just it's a different landscape than it was five or ten years ago where. You know, where fewer programs were on the were hitting the transfer market every year. Uh, now it's basically everybody is is in pursuit of the same top transfer players, and I think that makes things a little bit more difficult. The Big Ten is, I think, top to bottom a stronger league uh, than than the Big Twelve was in Hoiberg's day. Um, so you know, there's some challenges, and there's probably some things that he's learned. But uh, like I said, I don't think uh, seven and twenty-five changes the potential moving forward. Uh, the hope is that, it, that they maybe learn a few lessons along the way. Let's turn to football. Hopefully, we have some to talk about in the fall. Year threes usually are big years for programs, aren't they, Dirk? I mean, if you're going to make a move as a program, you got to get it done in the first couple of years, or you just don't have the momentum to keep it going. How how big an upcoming year do you, you view this for Scott Frost? Well, you're right. I think the the longer you go struggling, the harder it is um, to make a case to not only your fan base, but obviously also on the recruiting trail that things are moving in the right direction. And so for that reason, I think it's important for Nebraska to make a jump. And the the schedule is is really unusual this year uh, because it's so backloaded that I think that's going to create a kind of a unique element um but you know it's it's also you can't talk about this stuff without acknowledging that that it might not happen as scheduled at all and i think that's the concern right now is that uh what's this going to look like six months down the road because you know as, as badly as everybody wants it to happen and i think um you know at, at places like nebraska and, and most of the Big Ten and certainly the SEC, you know, there is the highest priority on making sure this happens. But on the other hand, uh, I think there's just a concern that, that we don't control all the all the factors. And, uh, you know, based on what I've read the last couple of weeks, I think there's going to be a football season in some form this fall. But uh, I could certainly see a scenario where it happens, you know, without fans in the stadium or with – 10,000 fans in the stadium and, and boy that would be a very different world uh, especially at a place like Nebraska where where the fans are really central to the identity of the program so it's uh you know we're sort of in uncharted territory here I know Frost has got other things to worry about he's trying to you know rebuild special teams and uh, build a recruiting class and all those things that you would ordinarily do but uh but the priority right now just seems uh, making sure that there's a season at all yeah. Well, you're right. Uncertain times. You mentioned trying to keep uh, some good good content for your weekend editions. Anything you, you're working on that you can can sh- reveal with us tonight? Well, I'll tell you what. We've for two months now. We've been we've this just sort of happened, I guess, um, coincidentally or serendipitously. But uh, we've we've started working on a, a series. Uh, about basketball history in the state and it's a lot of it's some old stories that that haven't you know really gotten the the attention or uh, examination that they probably deserved over the years and we've kind of brought them back we had one on sunday about benoit benjamin uh and his his sort of up and down couple years at creighton 
Uh, we're working on, you know, some other stories. Um, I've got a story about, a, uh, f- hopefully for this weekend, about the 1960 Omaha South High uh, basketball team and Bill Vincent, who was a Husker who played for Jerry Bush uh, down at, at Nebraska in the early 60s. Um, and so just lots of lots of things like that. I think people very similar to the Jordan, you know, to the Jordan fascination. There is a nostalgia for old sports right now, as there is obviously a lot of anxiety about about present day sports coming back. And, and we're trying to tap into that a little bit. We've we've found, you know, kind of a, a fun little series here uh, about basketball history, and, and hopefully people have enjoyed it. We get I think our best stories are, are still coming. Well, we'll look forward to those. Dirk, as always, we appreciate it. Good to catch up. Stay healthy, and hopefully we see you at some press conferences here real soon. Yeah, Val's Pizza, bring it my way. We always love getting a chance to sit down with Brendan and talking to him about some of the things he does. We bump into him a couple of times, either in football, basketball, or even baseball season. Yeah, fun guy to talk to, really great personality, and, and happy that he's carved out some time for us tonight. And and Brandon, I know you've been pretty active on Twitter and you know making use of your time during this quarantine. Let's just start with the important question. How many times has your turtle costume been washed in this quarantine period? <laughs> it has not been washed. I don't know what it would take to wash that, but I'm sure that I would ruin it, and I don't want to pay $100 at the dry cleaners, so... Hey, but I've only worn that twice and only for about 10 minutes each time, so it's not as gross as you may think. For those that have no idea what I'm talking about, got to go follow Brandon on Twitter, at Brandon Godden, um, some some pretty epic Twitter videos. Let's just start there, man. I mean, I know this is a tough time. There are, there are people that are going through a tough time, both with the virus and, and having to go to work and worrying about loved ones, but you, you've, been, you've been on fire on Twitter the last couple of months putting putting some quality content out what was the kind of the brainchild behind this to just to keep things light and make people laugh yeah the first one was the one shining moment video and that was obviously early on in the quarantine and look just like you and everybody else that loves sports that one shining moment video at the end of the ncaa tournament is a highlight for me every year i remember watching that as a kid i just could not wait for that to come on and i would get i would sometimes as a kid get moved to tears just by how cool i thought that was and I, I just was out on a jog, and I thought, man, you know, it, it stinks that we don't have the NCAA tournament. I understood why, the right decision, obviously, and all that. But, And I was running, and I thought, you know what, I've got this little Nerf hoop in my place, and I'm going to try to recreate the One Shining Moment video. Now, when that initially came into my head, I envisioned it being a very small production that I sent out to a few friends and family, and everybody got a laugh at me at my expense. Well, by that night, I had moved my furniture all against the wall. I had ordered 35 shirts off of Amazon and a turtle in a bull costume, and it kind of snowballed from there, and I had one week to produce it. And then what came out of it was, again, much more than I anticipated. So from that, I just, I've done a couple of other videos just to, just to have a little fun, and because I've got time right now that, to be frank, I haven't had in the last 10 years of my life. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it, they're hilarious, absolutely hilarious, and I know the the people out there that did see it got a, got a big kick out of that. Well, you're you're a very busy guy, like you said, Swiss Army knife when it comes to to broadcasting. With no sports, what's this been like for you? I mean, you're typically kind of like us. Now we're we're dealing with just the Huskers, but bouncing around from plane to plane, city to city, watching Nebraska play. You're kind of in the same boat, seeing a whole bunch of different teams play, but you're kind of stuck at home right now, not putting any charts together or anything. What's this been like for you? 
It's been strange, surreal. I mean, yeah, for the last five years since I, or I guess four years now since I moved over to the network TV side and, and have been doing the, the video game for Madden, it's, for me, 250 to 275 nights on the road a year. And so that's one of many reasons why I'm single with no kids, but that's a different topic. So when I now have this time, 60 straight days at home, it has been just hard to fathom because it's so unorthodox and I'm not used to being here. I'm used to being on a plane and preparing those charts and going and visiting the different cities and calling the games. I will say this and it's cliche and a lot of us are saying it, but it's so true. I've just had a lot of time to reflect on. I love sports and I will always love sports. I'm going to appreciate them that much more when they come back. That's one part. The second part to all of this is I've just been had time, had time to recharge my batteries. I've been fortunate that I haven't been sick, that I haven't been one of the millions that have had a lot of stress through this, and I'm lucky for that. Uh, but I've been able to also connect with a lot of family on a regular basis that I don't have time to typically. So there, there has been a sweet element to this. And, again, the point that I initially started out this sentence by trying to make is I think when we get sports back, we will appreciate them that much more, and I think that that's going to be a special time for all of us. One thing that has become prevalent during this time with no live sports are, are video game sports. Here at, at the Husker Sports Network, we've created our own virtual baseball league that we're streaming every day with created teams and uniforms and all that just to keep that competitive spirit going. You, as we've talked about, and, and, and you know, basically every time we talk to you, are the voice of Madden football. And I know, you know, they're they're doing their uh, the, the pro players are doing their tournament right now, but. How important has this part become for you, you know, just being one of the voices of Madden football and having that being one of the only escapes people have right now is just virtual video games? Yeah, so the studio is down in Orlando. I live in Atlanta, and typically I make 30 trips down there a year to record for the next rendition of the game. So coming up in the fall is obviously Madden 21 for an August release. Well, during this pandemic, they were starting to get worried because we were getting behind on building up our audio inventory for the next game. Thankfully, there's really smart people, a lot smarter than me, that work on the game. A couple of engineers who came up with this idea of sending us the same equipment that we use in that Orlando studio to our homes and do, doing some acoustic treatment to try to make it sound as close to what it sounds like in Orlando when we regularly record as possible. And they've been pleasantly surprised. So they sent the equipment about a month ago. We've now done two weeks of recordings. And they really say that once you put it in game and you put crowd noise behind it, you can't tell the difference. So thankfully, that is one thing that is now sort of getting back to normalcy is that myself and the analyst Charles Davis, who lives down in Orlando, we are recording from our homes a couple times a week now to start to get caught up on some of those backlog scripts so that when people play Madden 21, they will hear some updated and fresh commentary. In fact, just the other day we were going through and talking about all the rookies that have just come into the league via the draft. And so it'll hopefully uh, make it so that no one that plays the game notices a difference. But to your point, and the last thing I'll say on this is that 
It is weird because I'm hearing from a lot of friends who are playing a lot more Madden now than they ever have before. Uh, I'm getting some angry Twitter comments from people who get mad when lines don't fire in the right spot. And I, I don't really have anything to do with that, but my deepest apologies to those people. But, yeah, I mean, the uptick in games played, I think there's a lot of companies that have struggled through this. A company like EA Electronic Arts probably is a, is a beneficiary of an unfortunate p- pandemic like this. That's fantastic. We can't wait to see how the, the next game turns out. Talking with Brandon Godden uh, of Madden Football, BTN, Fox, Westwood One, you name it. Brandon, that, let's just talk about the NFL for a second. That's been one of the only thing. I mean, it's not even been normal, but to have the draft, to have the schedule release, something that matters other than the last dance documentary, how much more were you invested in just something real that mattered to people that, that counted for sports even though there was no score? Yeah, it was neat. And the last dance has been neat. And what was neat about both of those is, you know, I don't do a ton on Twitter. I mean, you mentioned the videos, but I'm typically not that active in posting. But I do like to scroll through and see the conversations that people are having. And there was something about sitting alone on my couch, but going through Twitter and seeing that everybody was talking about the draft and everybody's been talking about the last dance, it makes you feel in a strange way, even though you're isolated, some sense of community around sports. And so just going back and replying to people's tweets and having a conversation for a moment, it kind of felt like you said, normal. It did, even though we were watching a draft that was much different and we've been watching last dance, which isn't a live sporting event. It's a documentary. But when you know that you get online and you look and you're like, wow, all these hundreds of thousands of people are doing the same thing I'm doing and we're all kind of talking and joking about it, it made it feel normal again for a little bit. And I'll take any dose of that in sports or otherwise that we can get right now. Everybody's always talking college football and has college football on the brain, as I'm sure you do as well. We're starting to, uh, you know, as of June 1st, getting some programs back I guess question mark of of least being able to to work out or whatever um what's your kind of opinion on this I mean every I think the NCAA is trying to cast a blanket over everybody I'm not sure how this is going to work uh just with the different states regulations and you know some states being in, in more trouble than others what's your take on how this is all going down and and really what conversations are being had about when if and how college football should be back yeah, I mean, I I don't have any inside information. I think the obvious thing to start with, which most fans realize, is that the NFL is in a much more advantageous position than college, and that's just simply because of the lack of red tape. The NFL is a professional organization with paid players, and so if they want to say come middle of July that we are definitely starting on time, we're going to do it without fans, but we're going to bro- – they can just say, all right, guys, go and all you players get on the plane or get in a car and go get where you need to be and get ready for action. So that is a much easier, cleaner thing for the NFL to do than college. Like you're mentioning what happens if those schools in California don't go back. So how do you, but, but let's say the ones everywhere else do, or maybe it's New York and California that don't have people in school, but everybody else does. There's just so many questions that need to be answered from the NCAA and from these individual universities before we get a clearer picture of what's going to happen. Now, if I had to guess, and it is totally a guess, I would think that we have college football. It starts on time, and it is without fans. I think that they will find a way to get this done, and there's enough time to ramp things up. I think what I have heard is that 
these presidents and, and the football coaches and everybody in the NCAA tends to agree that you probably need about six weeks of having these football players being back on campus and getting their bodies just physically ready for FBS football competition so that they can be safe on the field. So provided that, you know, you backtrack it six weeks from end of August, early September, I think that that's still a realistic timeline. Again, I think the question will be, are all FBS teams participating because kids are back on campus? And if they aren't, how then do you rearrange the schedule or change the conference schedule, more importantly, to make up for those games that might be lost? But, but again, a lot of answers that need to come. But I do think if you had to ask me right now, do I think that games will start on time? I would say yes, and, and with no fans seems to be the way that we're trending. If it came down to a scenario, and this is all hypothetical here, if, if it came down to a scenario where, let's just say, the NCAA say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go ahead with football, but we're going to go away with conferences and we're going to go away from, I don't know, airplane travel or something like that. Do you think fans would be okay with that radical of change just to have football back? Could this be almost a quasi, do you see a scenario where this could be almost be a quasi one-off college football season where Nebraska's only playing Colorado and Kansas and Kansas State and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State just because of proximity? Or, or would we just hold off altogether uh, in a situation like that? I'm not sure which is better. There's a, I guess there's more than 50% of me that says if that has to be the case, if that's the only resolution, go ahead and do it just to give these uh, players and us as fans something. If it's feasible and you're able to do it without restricting anybody's health, go ahead and do it. I will say that I would be shocked if the TV ratings and the fan interest was anywhere near what it normally is if that was the case. I think that what would be best suited for everyone is if we could go ahead and have everyone participate. Again, provided, I want to be clear, that this is under the, the guidelines of those that the health experts that think that this is the right thing to do. But I think if the schedule was as is, even without fans, I think then you will see the, the, the normal people that are at home like you and I watching the games. I think that we would be much more into it. I think a watered-down schedule or regionalized schedule, again, not a bad idea. And I think that if that's the best-case scenario, go ahead and do it. But I just don't think the nationwide interest will be anywhere near what it normally would be. Talking with Brandon Godden here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Brandon, we, there's been some some conversations with some some network play-by-play guys and just c- topics of conversation amongst sports fans of what the atmospheres would be like. I think we all, as you said and laid out perfectly a little bit ago, that we, we expect there not to be any fans. But in terms of crowd noise, we've seen it with the Korean baseball organization with pumping in crowd noise. What do you expect the atmospheres to be like, you know, with no fans? Do you, do you see there trying to be any, you know, ambient noise in the background? Or is it just going to be quiet with players on the field? I mean, what do you see happening? Either way, whether there's pumped-in crowd noise or not, if there are no fans, I think the people watching at home need to realize that this is going to be a much different experience. Again, not a bad thing. I still think we play on, and I think the ratings will be good, and people will still enjoy watching it, but it is not going to be the same, even if you're trying to pipe in crowd noise. 
you don't have that feel of 80,000 people. And it's going to be a lot different for the players. For the players, it will inevitably feel like a scrimmage. Even if you're wearing your real jersey and you're hitting somebody in a different color jersey, it's going to feel like a scrimmage. You don't have that crowd to pick you up and elevate your level of play and get your juices flowing in the same way. And that's going to feel the same for Jane and Joe sitting in Nebraska on their couch watching the game because you just cannot mimic that. I've used the analogy before, Ben, that to me it will be like watching a movie without music. You still like the movie, but it's just not the same. When you take away in those very important scenes that backdrop of a music bed that gives us emotion and gets our heart racing a little more, you take that away, it's a totally different film. And if you take that away from the game of sport, it's a totally different sport that you're watching. Um, and I, I still think, again, that you go forward with it and try it and do it, but it, I just think the fans at home need to realize it's going to feel a little bit different. Even if you're piping in crowd noise, which I, I agree, I heard that Joe Buck made some statements on that and some other network announcers, and I don't know where Fox and Big Ten Network and other entities stand on that and what they will try to do, but it, it'll be weird if you hear – the crowd and it feels inauthentic or you hear it and you're not seeing anybody in the stands, or even if they superimpose fake fans in the stands, you're not going to fool the people at home. It may help close the gap somewhat, but it's not going to come close to closing it fully. So I would just say, you know, temper your expectations if, and when that time comes and just enjoy the, the pure level of sport that you're able to see on the field. Yeah, I'm imagining what it's going to be like on the sideline at Memorial Stadium without any fans on it on a game day. It's certainly going to be uh, something that uh, that I'm not used to. Well, man, uh, we've taken enough of your time. I sure wish this was happening in a booth at TD Ameritrade in between games and after we you know, kept you at the ballpark for 17 hours. But unfortunately, that's that's not the case. And, um, you know, hopefully it is real soon. Thanks so much for jumping on with us and, and spending some time and, and just talking sports with us, man. We appreciate it. Glad to do it, Ben. Hopefully, like you said, the next conversation is face-to-face. But take care and be safe. We're back on a Sports Nightly Monday night here on the Oscar Sports Network. We've reached that point of the show where we look back over the weekend and give you our weekend winners. Ben McLaughlin, you can lead us off tonight. Sure. Um, My weekend winners goes to a group of boys that had lost their football across the fence not entirely dissimilar Sandlot? to the situation at Sandlot. <laughs> and there was a big dog on the other side, a fast dog. And I don't know if you guys saw this video or not, but they had quite the battle plan to get this ball back. There was a three-man drill separated on one on one end of the yard, one splitting the difference, and then one on the other end of the yard. First kid jumps over on the far left side to chase the dog down there. So the dog runs down to the left side. Then the guy on the far right jumps over the fence so the dog has to go all the way to the other side of the yard to get this kid all the while the middle kid hops the fence runs over grabs the ball as the dog's chasing him makes a heroic dive over the fence they got their ball back game on that is teamwork right there teamwork (laughs) ingenuity all of that wonderful reports still unknown if the ball was signed by babe ruth or not yeah can't confirm or deny Austin, what do you have for us? Well, my biggest winner is all of us, knowing that we stack up against Michael Jordan and our ability to eat a full pizza by ourselves. I think that, you know, brings us to his level, something we can all feel good about. 
Yeah. That was that was something new. We've all referred to that as the flu game. I did not know that it was food poisoning. How how funny was it that uh that the trainer and his his personal assistant you know, they get the pizza and five guys show it, to me that would yeah. have been the end. Five dudes yeah. show up, I'm like no, no a, shot. I would have thrown in the trash, right? You Sorry, see five Mike. guys, you think burgers, not pizza, but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But a boom Sorry. boom. Sorry, Mike, you're going to be hungry tonight, my guy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a little bit of a slip, right, for Jordan to go, yeah, this isn't fishy. Come on. That's just really, really bizarre. that, that... But it makes sense because he'd been it, feeling good. That had it before. Yeah. Oh, I, I've. there was one year where I got food poisoning like three times in a year, and I had never had it before. It's, it's awful. Um, but, yeah, I mean – my, the other thing I will say about it is Mike was probably used to that, though. You know, five, you know, bunch of guys following yeah. him wherever he goes. But even still, 3 o'clock in the morning, or was it 10 or 11 in the, o'clock at night, I would not be okay with, uh, with, don't with you, Michael Jordan eating unauthorized don't you pizza. Don't have, like, the trainer put it – I don't know who they, they – they didn't put it under Michael's name, did they? They wouldn't have been that There's dumb. no way they did. And then why don't you meet him in the lobby? Say, I'll meet you in the lobby. I'll grab the pizza from you. Let him come up to your floor? Come on. Yeah, and, and how do they not have a team nutritionist with granola bars or yeah. – You know, you're hungry. Go get, go get something – you're not going to order a fast food pizza the night before game five. Yeah, that, that, that story seems a little odd, but I don't know. They were all, all with it. All right, um, my winner of the week is every sports fan. We finally had some live events yesterday with the NASCAR race, which drew 6.2 million viewers on Fox yesterday. It was uh, triple the size of their last race before the shutdown. And then you had the Skins game going on at that course in Florida with Rory, Dustin, Ricky Fowler, and Matthew Wolf. It went to an extra hole. What they did on the extra hole was it was a par three closest to the pin. Their team won, and Rory went last. There was only one ball in the green. Matthew Wolf put one on the green probably 18 feet away. Rory stuck his about six feet away. He and DJ walk away the winner. That was fun. Fun watching that. I watched about two hours of it yesterday. Cool looking course, right? Not many trees. Yeah. Oh, I would have dominated it for sure. A lot of sand dunes. Sand there. and little creeks and little yeah. water everywhere. Yeah. The Seminole Golf Club, which is on the east coast of Florida, just north of Fort Lauderdale. So the sports fans, they're my winner. We've got some actual sports back on the tube. NASCAR goes again Wednesday night. They're having two races this week. What a good hour. Wonderful to hear from Brandon Gowden. From BTN and Fox Sports, wonderful guest to have him here on the air.